I want to start a series today that is spiritual, okay? Very spiritual. And I'm going to start from Hebrews chapter 11 and the sixth verse. Hebrews chapter 11 and the sixth verse. And the title of the series is The Faith That Works. The Faith That Works. Okay? I hear it's your super Sunday today, so you guys have your nice things that you do, so I won't keep you too long. I'm very sure, just three hours only. The faith that works. So this one is the faith that works, part one. The faith that works, part one. So what we're going to do as we start, we're going to read this verse of Scripture together. That's right. This verse of Scripture on the screen, we're going to read it together. Then after that, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to share the word. So in three, two, one, let's read it. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, we thank you for your word. With thanksgiving, we receive your word today. By your spirit, Lord, plant this word in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. One of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible is this verse of scripture. It tells us that as a Christian, the very idea that you and I are Christians means that we want to please God. When you say, I am a Christian, what you're saying is that I have decided that the object, the primary object of my affection is going to be God. I've decided that the very object of my accountability is going to be God. I have decided that if I have to please only one person, that person will be God. Are you still with me? Come on, Ignite Church, are you still with me? When you are a Christian, your primary Primary, primary desire will be to please God. However, the Bible is telling us that we can't please God without faith. We cannot please God without faith. This is a very important thing. How many of you would like to please God? I see a few hands. How many of you would like to please God? I see everybody put hands up. Good. Fantastic. Because that's the beginning. You need to have a desire. And I know you want to please God. That's why you're here. And that's why many of you are joining us online. You want to please God. In order for you and I to please God, we must operate in faith. Look at it again. Without faith, it is not difficult to please God. It is what? Impossible to please God. So, the question then is, what is faith? Because I know you've heard so many things about faith. Some people are going through extremely difficult challenges, and they say, you know what, I've just been living by faith. People call different things faith. So, what is this thing called faith? What is it? So, let me help you so that we can all together agree on a particular or particular set of definitions so that when we continue to talk about faith, you can know that this is what we are talking about. 
Is that okay? Okay. So there are two parts to faith. Listen carefully. There are two parts to faith. The first part to faith is being convinced or being persuaded by the word of God. That's the first part to faith. Persuasion by the word of God. So you have heard the word of God. And based on the word of God you have heard, you are persuaded or convinced. That's the first part of faith. Convinced. Okay? Conviction. You're convinced or you're persuaded about the word of God. So without the word of God, there's no faith. Without the word of God, there's no faith. So the first part is what? You are persuaded by the word of God. The second side of the coin of faith is that you act on your persuasion. You take actions that are corresponding to or commensurate with your persuasion. I will take that again. There are two sides to faith. The first part is that you are persuaded, but persuaded by what? Come on, speak to me, Ignite Church. By what? Very good. You are persuaded by the word of God, not by stories, not by what people are telling you, not by circumstances, not by experience. You are persuaded by the word of God. The second part is that you act, you take actions that correspond to your persuasion. So I'm persuaded that because I was here when this stage was built, I saw the original drawing, I saw the drawings from the engineers that designed it, stamped it, put the credibility on the line, did all the calculations and all of that. I saw it when it was being constructed. So because I saw that, I was convinced that it can carry my weight. So being convinced alone and sitting down there without climbing the stage is not fit. Because I'm convinced, then I climb the stage. Okay? If you take actions without the persuasion, it's not faith. It's foolishness. It's presumption. So if you take actions, somebody says, well, you know, I'm going to take an action of faith. I want to get married, so I'm going to take an act of faith. I'm going to go buy a wedding dress. That's not faith. If you don't have internal persuasion from the word of God. There have to be an internal persuasion from the word of God that has persuaded you on the inside that nobody could see on the outside. But what people can see on the outside is your action that you're taking. But that action you're taking on the outside is corresponding to a persuasion on the inside. Is this making sense to somebody? That is what faith is. So faith has two sides to the coin. So you can say, Persuasion, action. Persuasion, action. So if I want to check if I'm in faith, this thing I'm about to do, am I acting in faith? Is this presumption? Am I being presumptuous? Am I acting in faith? Is this an action of foolishness? Check these two things. Persuasion, action. Persuasion, action. If you have action without persuasion, it's presumption. If you have persuasion without action, it's believing. 
but it's not fit. So, this is the definition of faith. Now, why is it important that our persuasion comes from the word of God? Because that's what I said. Our persuasion must come from the word of God, not from experience, not from circumstances, not from situation, not from culture. Hmm. Our persuasion must come not from culture. Okay? Not from culture. It must not come from culture. It must not come from folklore. Not from our culture. It must come from the word of God. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from verse 1 to 5. Okay, let's take it from here as I begin to close. <laughs> I have a big birthday cake at home, sorry. And if I don't get home on time, there are some voracious eaters in my house. So I'm, I'm kind of like worried I might not meet the cake at home. So I've got to run back and first I have to take photographs in front of my cake. Amen. I have to do my countdown by myself. You know, five, four, three, two, one. Happy birthday! Then cut my cake. Amen. Take a lot of photos. I like to take photographs every year just to see what God is doing. Amen. Just to see what God is doing. Amen. Yeah. You have to learn the habit of celebrating yourself before people celebrate you. Hallelujah. All right. Look at what it says. So Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church. Corinthian church, the church that is for some of us that are not familiar with what the whole Bible is all about. So Paul is an apostle. An apostle is somebody that has been sent. The word apostle means to be sent. The word apostle is taken from the Greek word apostolo. Okay, apostello. That means someone that is sent to go and tell. Sent to tell. You know, actually, in the original Greek, in classical Greek, don't let me bother you because I studied this, okay? At one time, I got a lot of faith and I enlisted in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. True, true. So I became a student to study biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew. Friends, when it got to the time when we had to start writing papers and writing exams, when I first saw the, the books, I said to myself, what did I get myself involved in? Because to start with, all, I bought a whole set of Hebrew Bible, which I have at home, written in Hebrew. Number one, it doesn't open from left to right. It opens from right to left. That's the first shocker. And in Hebrew, there are no vowels, only consonants. Ah. <laughs> all of them, is, everything is consonant. So the way they figure out the vowels is that they put some like dots and in different places. But it's all consonants. So how do you even read it? I gave it to my wife one day. She had a headache after three minutes. <laughs> you know. But in the classical Greek, when you talk about apostello, it actually means one who is sent with a message with the backing of the sender. 
So Apostle Paul was sent by Jesus Christ with the backing of Jesus Christ, okay, to establish churches in the Gentile world. Well, now, in the Bible, when you see the word Gentile in the Bible, it's talking about anybody that is not a biological Jew. So if you are not biologically a Jew, as far as scripture is concerned, you're called Gentiles. All right? Okay, that's what we are. Now, when you are now born again, you have been grafted into the tree, okay, into Christ. So the Jew now, and we that were not biological Jews, we are now one family. Are you hearing me? Called the sons of Abraham. So as then, we now call the people that are not yet believers are the people that are now called Gentiles. Is this making sense? So Paul here is writing to the Gentile church called the Corinthian, Corinthian church. Let's go back to that. And he's saying, I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Keep going. But I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Oh, Lord, God have mercy. The next two verses are very powerful. My speech and my preaching was not with the persuasive words of human wisdom. Okay, so I didn't try to argue with you. I didn't try to argue with you guys. I didn't try to bring superiority of ideas to you. Paul was saying. He said, and there's a reason why I didn't do that. It's not because the gospel is not full of superiority of ideas. He said, but I didn't do that because I don't want your faith. Verse 5. To be in human wisdom. I want your faith to be where? This is very important. Listen very carefully to me. So, somebody's sick, for example. person has some challenges with their health. The doctors have run a lot of reports. The first set of reports, first set of doctors, they said, well, this is so complicated. We don't know how, what exactly is going on, but we suspect it might be this and this and that. And that's why the person is just losing weight and losing weight and things are just not working in the system. Everything, based on every test, every met metric they've checked, the person is going through issues. They finally they find the doctor. The doctor says, oh, I think I figured out what is going on. And the faith, the faith of the people, the person that is sick, maybe, and their family, start rising up because they found a doctor finally that now knows what is going on. There's nothing wrong in that, but that's not faith. Stay with me, just stay with me. That is believing in science, and there's nothing wrong in it. I'm, I'm trained as a pharmacist originally, because that's what I went to school to study. So I believe in science completely. That's why I got vaccinated, and I don't want to talk about vaccination, but just to let you know. Anyway, and I have my vaccine passport here. Praise God. True, true. I believe in it. I'm a pharmacist, so I believe in it. But what the faith Paul is talking about here is the faith whereby you believe based on the word of God. If I ask you, why do you believe you're going to be well? Why do you believe you're going to come out of the bed of sickness? You won't say because I found a new doctor. Are you still with me? You will say, because the word of God says so. If I say, how do you, why do you believe you're going to get gainful employment? You've been out of work for three months. You're looking for a job. Why do you believe you're going to get some jobs? You will say, because the word of God says 
So, not because I have a friend that works in Metro and she's going to introduce me to her boss on Monday. That's good. There's nothing wrong in that. But your faith is not in the activities of your friend. Your faith is in the Word of God where the power of God resides. Am I teaching something too deep? Your faith then must be in the power of God because the only thing that becomes irresistible, unstoppable, and unchangeable is the power of God. So your faith must be in that. Now, because I have faith in the word of God that says, by his stripes I was healed, and if I was healed, I am healed. Because I have faith in the word of God in Matthew 8, 17 that says, he himself took my infirmity because I have that faith in the word of God, that faith can now open the door to a doctor that will know what he's doing. Are you following what I'm saying now? He will not open the door and then say, oh, my, hello, my name is Dr. Fernandez. Oh, hello, Dr. Fernandez. How are you doing? I'm fine. Oh, I'm an expert in this particular area. I figured out what you're doing. That faith that I have in God is what brings it about that. Because I have faith in God that say to the righteous, it shall be well with you and you will eat the fruit of your labor. Because the word of God says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, this thing says he who is true, he who is holy, he who has the key of David in his hand, he who opens and nobody, no man can shut. I know your works. Behold, see, verse 8, I have set before you, what kind of door? An open door. Because I have faith in this word, I'm persuaded in this word. So because I have faith, and I come to church, and I stumble into you that work at Metro, and I say, hey, hello, how are you? And you say, oh, how do you do? How do you do? And you say, well, you know, I work in Metro. Oh, really? I, you know, I just applied to Metro. And so you can't believe this. I'm the hiring manager. Now, after we've said all of that, and I've introduced myself, my faith is still in the word of God. My persuasion is still in the word of God. How do I know that tomorrow will be all right? Well, I know tomorrow will be all right because Psalm 37, verse 37 says in NKJV, mark the blameless man, mark the upright man, the future of that man is peace. But I like the, the Living Bible translation, TLB. And I don't think we have that that you can put on screen. But it says the man has a wonderful future. But you can give us the NLT. The NLT is the senior sister of the TLB. True, true, true. Look at those who are honest and good. A wonderful future awaits them. So my confidence about tomorrow is not just in my planning, though I have planned. Are you still with me? My confidence in my tomorrow is because Psalm 37 verse 37 says that. That is persuasion based on the word of God. Now, based on that persuasion now, I now start acting on that, making preparation for my tomorrow, not planning for tragedy, not giving room and creating accommodation for sorrow, but planning for what it says there, exactly what it says there, a wonderful future. And I pray for somebody here today. This wonderful future will be manifest in your life in Jesus' name. No matter what is happening to you today, a manifest future will be your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is, what, this is how faith works. So then, somebody is asking the question today, Pastor, I want to start working on my faith. What are some of the things I need to start taking care of? 
to make sure that I'm really working in faith. Because friends, let me say this to you. No matter who you are, and no matter how careful you are in this world, no matter how great your plans are, a time will come when human strength will fail you. I, I know you're very young now, and at your age, you feel you are invincible. I felt that way too. Trust me. But if you don't believe me right now, just write it down. <laughs> a time will come when all of your human strength, human ability, you will get to a point where you suddenly realize that, oh my God, I need something or somebody bigger than me to help me out on this. Some of us right now, we don't, we have never asked for help before. Okay? Don't worry, keep living. You will have many opportunities to ask for help. Trust me. Okay? So I want you to learn how to do it now. Do you want to learn? Okay. So when you're asking God for help, okay, when that time comes, which will come, which, which will come, this is what was going to make your faith work. Let me give you three things quickly. Write them down. I will try and unpack one or two of them. Then we can continue next week. So I can let you do your Super Sunday. <laughs> the first thing is this. You have to let God be God. What does that mean? That means let God be your first and final source. First and final source. Psalm 62 verse 5. Psalm 62 verse 5. One of the reasons why people's faith don't work is this. They have too many alternatives to God. My soul waits silently for God. But the most important word there, apart from the word God, is the word alone. My soul waits silently for God. How? Come on. Alone. Alone. For my expectation is from him. Let's look at the New Living Translation, please. The New Living Translation. Thank you. Let all that I am wait quietly for God, for my hope is in him. Wait for God alone. Make God your first. Don't wait until you are... You see, listen to me. God is not 911. Don't use God as a 911 SKP plan. Don't use God as your fire exit plan. Use God as your building permit plan. Don't let God be, oh, fire, 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 fire. Then you are running towards the door. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. That means God was not first. Because the people that really make God first don't need to cry out for God in the day of emergency. For the Bible says in Psalm 20, verse 1, may the Lord help you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. In other words, by the time of emergency, you don't need to call on God. God shows up in the day of emergency because you made him first before the emergency. Another way of putting it is this. Let's go ahead and give God praise. Another way of saying it is don't make God your spare tire. Make him your steering wheel. Okay? Make God your steering wheel. Let God be the one to lead you, to direct you. Make him first. Keep him first. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. There is something about God that he wants us to prioritize him. 
God doesn't want to be one of your options, one of my options. He wants us to prioritize him. And I'm going to give you a small little assignment. You know, this is Ignite Church, right? Am I speaking at Ignite Church? All right. So I'm going to give you a small little assignment. It's our, it's our custom here. If you're joining us for the first time, bear with us to give little, small little assignments in making God first. You are going to do something this week. It's going to be a bit hard on you, but <laughs> is it okay? You're going to do it, right? But you're going to do it. Try it. Try it. At least try one day. Okay? Try it. Okay? I promise I won't sing you out next Sunday to ask you. So this is a simple assignment you're going to do this week. You've got to, you've got to try. It's going to be tough. Okay? It's not as easy as you would think. You're going to try for three consecutive days of the week. So that means if you try tomorrow, it doesn't work. Don't worry. Don't condemn yourself. Just start again on Tuesday. You're going to try B, B, B. Bible before breakfast. You're going to try and read your Bible before you put anything in your mouth. Okay, apart from, you know, some of you don't feel comfortable, apart from brushing your teeth and all of that. Okay? But you, before you eat, take your morning coffee, take your morning cappuccino, take your morning latte, and any other thing that you take in the morning. Some of you are already saying, not for me. <laughs> before you do that, not for one day only. For how many days? Yeah, three, at least three consecutive days. Some of you are already shivering. Some of you are already saying, I feel, I'm feeling cold. <laughs> because I need my morning coffee. Someone said, well, Pastor, can I, can I, you know, the young adults are amazing. I can hear somebody is already saying, I can hear it in my heart. Somebody is already saying, Pastor, you know what, can I multitask? Kind of like make the coffee, put the coffee by the Bible while I'm reading it. And as I'm reading the first verse, and I'm kind of like, no. The answer is no. Okay, if you want to do it, because what I'm trying to get to you, this is not legalism. What, I, the, what I'm trying to get into you is an attitude of discipline, whereby you pick your Bible first, and you, something tells you that let me take, let me make God first. Let me read this first before I approach my day. You, know, you see, there's a story in the Bible. I didn't want to really get into this depth, but let me show you. Second Kings chapter six, start from verse ten. Let me see. I think let's start from verse ten. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's start from verse 10. All right, yeah. yeah. Keep going, the next verse. So this was the story of a particular king called um, King of Syria. So he was having these battle plans with his generals and there was a prophet called Elisha that was in Israel. And God was telling him the plans of the king of Syria that he was having in his, in his own kingdom by word of knowledge. Okay, some of you have seen the manifestation of this word of knowledge in the solution nights that we've been having. Okay, that's called word of knowledge. All right, why? Things that, facts about people, places, and things that cannot be known naturally are known. Because it's a piece of what God knows that it tells a man, and the man now says it. All right, keep going, please. Jump to verse 14. Or 15. Let's start from 15. Let's see what you do. 15. All right, stand there. No, verse 14. Therefore, this is the king of Syria now. So he sent horses and chariots and a great army to go and capture this man of God called Elisha. Are you following the story? All right. So they came by night and they surrounded the entire city. Now watch this now. At night, when Elisha and his servant were going to bed, 
they did not know that the enemy had moved into the city and surrounded the city with chariots, fire. Things, the enemy had moved at night. Are you following now? The enemy had moved at night. Now, this is where I really want you to see. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose up early in the morning, he rose up early in the morning, and what did he do? Please speak to me, Ignite Church. At the back there, I want to hear you. What did he do? That's it. He woke up early in the morning, and what happened? He went out. The Bible did not say he prayed. The Bible did not say he read his Bible. He went out. What did he go out to do? We don't know. We don't know. The Bible didn't say what he went out to do, but it could have been something innocent. Maybe going to grab a cup of coffee, you know, maybe going to Timothy's drive-thru and all of that. But look at the next thing that happened. So he saw, no, no, go back to that verse. And there was an army. So go on to 16, 15 then. Surrounding the city. And the servant said to, sent to this master, Alas, master, what shall we do? The question I'm asking myself, there were two people in the house. The servant of Elisha and Elisha himself. The servant woke up in the morning. And what did he do when he woke up? Thank you. He went out. So he went out. He saw what was in the environment. He met with circumstances and he panicked and came back in. Elisha was sitting in when he was giving the situational report of what is factual, fact, factual out there, how come he did not panic? Because one person woke up in the morning and went out. Another woke up in the morning and went up. You see this? So when you wake up in the morning before you start getting engaged in all of the other things, don't just go out and say, I'm running late today, take up your jacket, and you're wearing your jacket or, you know, in the go train and all of that. Then when you get in the go train, you run and you sit down, then you say, ah, oh, Father, thank you. Ah, oh, I almost missed this go train. Thank you, Father, for this go train. Ah, oh, praise God. Ah, oh, ah, oh, hallelujah. Yeah. You put in your, you know, airports and you listen to some music and say, ah, Father, thank you. I know you've forgiven me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And when that happens, then you get to your place of work. And things are not, the day is not working. Things are not working in the day. Because you woke up and you went out without first going up. Going up means to connect with God. To go up means to connect with God. So Elijah said to him, no, 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 why are you worried? I know you're coming back to give me a factual report, but let me give you a truthful report. The factual report is telling, you're telling me is that we are surrounded, and I'm not doubting that. It's true. But let me give you a truthful report. The truthful report I got this morning when I went up is that the people that surround us are also surrounded. And the man said, I can't understand. So I said, Lord, I pray, open up his eyes. And his eyes opened and he saw. What this is basically telling you on eyes is, when we approach God first, we are able to capture God's perspective on the issues we'll be facing during the day. So my challenge to you again is, three consecutive days, what are you doing? Thank you. This lady is so excited about it. Some of the men are like, oh, whatever, whatever. 
guys, please, uh, like, let me say it in a spiritual way, like Paul would say, I beseech you by the mercies of God. <laughs> That's the way the Bible says it. You know, no, I'm pleading with you. Please, let's do this. And you will see how your life will change. Okay? You will see how your life will change. I was telling them in the house of praise today, when the church was about to open, you know, COVID-19 restrictions, it's been, it's been lifted and all of that. There was this research that's been done over the last one year, accurate scientific re- research, that says people are no longer coming to church. Some people are no longer going to be coming to church again. Church is going to be this, church is going to be that. Uh, to 20, 20, 15 to 25% of people will never show up again in church. The church, churches are not, no longer full, and so on and so forth. This is a, a research. You can't doubt the veracity of the research. So we're having a conversation in my home, and my wife said, have you seen this research? I said, yes, so she forwarded it to me. I said, oh, wow. So I read it through. So she said, look at the conclusion of it, that people are no longer coming to church and all of that stuff. So she was saying that. Suddenly, before I could open my mouth to talk, I just realized, I just had it in my spirit. Don't talk about the factual report. Talk about the truthful report. So I told her what the truthful report was to set aside the factual report. And the truthful report is in Micah chapter 2, verse 12. New Living Translation. Micah chapter 2, verse 12. I will surely ask them, this is God speaking now. Let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning. Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in his pasture. Keep going. Yes, your land will again be filled with what? Crowds. You see the crowds is even plural. That means not only in House of Praise, but also in Ignite Church. This is the truthful report. So, because I captured this in my heart, first, when I now look at the research, I say, oh, okay. This research is for human beings. This one is for spirit beings. So I'm going to act based on this one. And this is what happened, that Sundays now in house, we have overflow. Today we have more than double overflow that we have to take chairs to bring into the overflow. Because of this word. You see, friends, this is how faith works. This word gave me the internal persuasion to know that everything's going to be fine. Just go ahead and do what you have to do. Without this word, I will not have the internal persuasion. I will be going with the factual report. Are you still with me? That's why Bible before breakfast is critical. To set your perspective before you meet with the circumstances of the day. So God first. God first. God first. Okay? That's the first basics prerequisite of faith. Let me now conclude by saying this. Not only God first, let me conclude here. God first, then, number two, God last. God first, but God should also have the last word. This is what it means. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Until God has spoken, the chapter on that issue is not closed. If you have not heard God, 
you have not had the final expert on that issue. There was a certain woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years. Now, when you read this, I want you to assume that this woman is your very good friend. And I'd like you to be, sorry, to do two things. One, I want you to be very honest. Then I want you to assume that this particular woman is a very good friend of yours. Okay, then I'm going to ask you a question based on those two assumptions. A certain woman who had suffered many things from many physicians. She has suffered from many things. Many physicians. All right, keep going. She spent also all that she had. So she suffered emotionally. She suffered physically. She suffered psychologically. She's exhausted all of her options. Then she's exhausted her money. All right. She didn't go any better, but she grew worse. Full stop. Stop there. You know, there's a full stop there by the writer. This woman is a very close friend that you know very well, both of you level with each other. What would be your advice to this woman at this point? Won't you tell her normally, if you want to be honest, that listen, you've been through old doctors, you've been through everybody, it's not like you've not tried for 12 years. Now you're losing money now. I'm just kind of like thinking, I don't want to offend you, but if you can kind of like start like putting the money aside for your family, wouldn't that be kind of a good advice? Don't think as a Christian, just think normally. <laughs> Is that not true? Yeah, I will tell the person that. I mean, if I'm not thinking as a Christian. Say, well, you know, I mean, we've been going through this for 12 years. You're not getting any better. You're losing blood. Look at your hemoglobin count. It's very, very, very low. You know, look at what you're suffering from. You know, you, you, you are, this, a lot is going on with you. You're anemic. Look at you. I don't even need to do a blood test. You're anemic. And it's not for lack of trying. You've been to the U.S., you've been here, you've been to all the doctors. It's not going to be any better. And you keep on spending money. I would just want to say that you have three children. I'm just kind of like thinking these three children have to go to school, university, and all of that. You might want to start thinking of what you're going to do with them because your life insurance is not going to cover them. That very difficult conversation will be initiated. The only problem with this woman is that she did not see a full stop behind the walls on verse 26. So the Bible says in verse 27, she heard about Jesus. And once you hear about Jesus, the full stop, where you put the full stop before, you have to recalibrate. Because until Jesus, the Almighty God, speaks about the issue, the final expert has not spoken. So you might go to your consultant that is helping you out with a job, somebody helping you out with a particular project you're doing, and they tell you that this thing is not going to work. That's fine. Don't be rude at any time. Love is never rude. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not rude. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Alex. I appreciate your candor and I appreciate your expertise on this issue. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. God bless you. So he tells you all of that, and then you walk away. Don't be rude at all. Then you move out. But understand, until the Bible puts a finality on that issue, the issue is not final. Don't settle for it to be final. This building I'm in right now, <laughs> this building, you know, it's so funny. It's, it's amazing if you know what the experts in this country told me, told us, told the leadership that this we're in right now would not be possible. I came into this building, and I'm going to mention 
couple of names. It's a fact. Some of you might work in these places of work. I'm not knocking you. I'm not disrespecting you. Neither am I suggesting that the places are bad. I'm just telling you my one, just one experience, which does not negate, neither does it reduce um, the greatness of those places of work. Do you understand? Okay, so after all my caveats, <laughs> there's this bank, which we still bank with. I don't have a, we don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. It was just one staff that did only, took only one function, called Bank of Montreal. They went through all of our systems, and they said, I brought the man into this place, the, the, one of the leaders. So he didn't want to come alone, so he brought in a very senior vice president. And they had a meeting with me while this whole place was just a bare warehouse. And when the man came in, the VP, I could see already from his attitude that he was skeptical about what I wanted to do. So he asked me, he said, Pastor, um, this other guy, his staff, he said he has explained kind of like the prayer to, to him, but said, he said, but I have some questions. I said, I would be glad to answer because I'm happy to answer every question. So I said, let me share with you first um, the vision. He said, yeah, 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 Pastor, please tell me, what, what are you trying to do? So I shared the vision with him. I told him what we're doing. I told him why we need this place. He kind of looked at me. And, and I understand where it's coming from. In his own mind, all he's thinking about, because he's trained to think that way, to think of risk. So all he's just thinking about is risk, risk, risk. What makes you think that the people will move from Lenwood Drive and come here? Has everybody signed a piece of paper committing themselves to come here? I said, don't worry, I've signed for everybody. They will come. <laughs> I said, I was just thinking in my mind. The man was so skeptical. He asked me question after question. Then, of course, we moved to what is called bottom line. Figures. Figures don't lie. So he said to me, he said, Pastor, you're going to be living in Lenwood Drive, a building that has been fully paid for, where you have no obligations, your um, um, utilities. It's going to be about one-tenth of what you're going to be paying here. You're going to be incurring tremendous level of expenses, running costs. Your running cost is going to just go off the roof, off the charts, by moving in here. And do you, how are you going to be able to afford all of this? So I knew where he was going. I told him, I showed him on paper how it's going to work by the wisdom of God. He said, yeah, 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 Pastor, I see it's work. It's on paper. It's going to, I, I get it on paper. He said, but what is the guarantee? Now, that question he asked me, it's not a the only way I can answer that question is to open up my spirit man to show him my persuasion based on the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, you know, I said, and you know, Pastor, construction projects, you can say you're going to spend four million dollars, five million dollars, whatever amount of money on the construction project. He said, it never ends that way. You always go way beyond that. And at the end of the day, people run into all manners of problems and, you know, they're unable to continue. I was just, you know, I allowed him to say everything I was going to say. And respectfully, I told him, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. I'm sure we'll get to meet again. By January this year, this same team of people, they wrote me. And they said they would like to come and have a meeting. And this time around, I was in charge of the schedule. So I told them, I'm very busy. I'm very busy. I'm preaching in that same sanctuary 
that you said will not be possible. You see, you see, I'm not knocking him. I understand where he's coming from. But he didn't understand where I was coming from. I have a superiority, okay? I was coming from a superior realm. I was speaking from a superior level based on the word of God. Friends, this is true. This is true. This is true. This is true. This is real. This is not a joke. It's not make-believe. This is true. The word of God that gives you the persuasion in your heart, when you act on it, you have the backing of the one that created the heavens and the earth. And there's nothing that is impossible for him. If God has not spoken on the issue, you have not yet had the final issue, final say on the issue. No matter what the expert is saying, I've seen people here in this church that they told me, the doctors, I saw the report, not that somebody came, and I can read the report very well. Not only am I trained, worked in hospitals, including guys hospital in London, England. I have one of my very good friends that's very close to Topsy and I is a consultant radiologist in this country. Okay? I have friends that, doctor, a lot of doctor friends who could, I could read the report. They show, I saw this report. This particular lady, after all the tests, she is not yet, has never ovulated before. There was even one that has never, of course, never menstruated. How are you going to have a child when there's no ovulation? I've seen it. But by the word of God, persuasion from the word of God, Hebrews 11, 11. Hebrews 11, 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received dunamis, power, miracle-working power, which the Bible translates as strength in NKJV, to conceive. So what she received was not seed alone from Abraham. She received dunamis, strength to conceive. And that's how she was able to give birth to Isaac. Prayed for the sisters, and today they have two children already. You see, friends, this thing, this thing is real. Somebody say it's real. It's very, very real. Very, very real. So my challenge to you today, as I as I close now to say what a prayer over you, is this. Bible before breakfast, make God first. Make him the priority. This is just the basis. We'll continue next week and I can get into some deeper depths. Then make God the last. Think of it now. Whatever you're going through now, whatever you want to happen in your life right now, that maybe some experts are telling you it's not doable, it's not possible, or this and that, think about it. As God in his word said that thing is not doable, that's the only time you should accept it's not doable. If God in his word has not said it's not doable, can somebody that is very, very sick at the point of death, can they still come back alive? The answer is yes. Can somebody that has been condemned by medicine to say, well, you have terminal cancer, it's spread all across your body, but sorry, you have only three weeks to live. And in the hospice, can that person actually change? Can somebody with ADDH, can they change? Can somebody with autism be healed? Science tells us no. But I've seen it. Anywhere God has not put a full stop, please don't accept the full stop. Don't accept the full stop. Is anybody still in the house? 
This is the work of faith. This is faith. That's the first thing you do. Let God have the last laugh. The Bible says in verse 26 again, Mark 5, 26, that woman grew worse. Full stop. It wasn't God that put full stop there. It was the writer, Mark, that put full stop. But the Bible says the woman heard. Verse 27, she heard about Jesus. She removed the full stop. And said, no, I'm going to approach Jesus. I've approached everybody. I've not approached him. Let me go and hear what he says. If he now says, that's it, then that's it. But if he says there's a way, then there's a way. And there is a way. To say there is no way is to say there is no Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I conclude today. We're going to continue next week. By saying to somebody that is here today, you have gone around this mountain long enough. You go around this mountain wrong a lot. It looks impossible. You yourself might have been come to the point where you're not believing that it is impossible. You are allowing impossibility thinking to sink in to you. You are agreeing with what people are saying. You are allowing what is around you and what experts and everyone is telling you around you, the weight of the circumstances to tell you that it's not doable. I've got good news for you. It is not only doable, it is a simple matter before the Lord. <laughs> Some years, about, about a year and a half ago, I was going through a dark period in my life. A very, very dark period. Difficult time. Very, very, very difficult time. That many experts completely wrote me off. Most people at that time evaluated my situation and their, their conclusion was that, ah, what a pity. What a pity. The good news is that there's a Bible on the phone. That's it. Based on the word of God. First one fired in. Second one fired in. Third one fired in. The word of God started rebuilding faith. Then persuasion came in. Once the persuasion came in, conviction came in. Once the conviction came in, faith arose in the power of God. Not in the wisdom of man. And based on that, Psalm 71 verse 7 became a reality. I have become a wonder to many. For the Lord of hosts is my strong refuge. Do you know this is what's going to happen to your career? I'm going to speak to the people. I think the people on this side are very... Do you know that's what's going to happen to your career? If you're a business person, do you know that's what's going to happen to your business? Do you know that's what's going to happen to your relationships? I was listening to the general overseer this morning, actually not this morning, middle of the night, and what he was saying did not allow me to sleep. So when I said, I said, Daddy, you didn't allow me to sleep. He was so anointed, he was so powerful. And he was talking about this, and then he, said, he shared a particular story. The first Nigerian, first Nigerian governor general or president after independence in Nigeria was a man called Namdi Azikwe. Okay? So, that's after independence in 1960 in Nigeria, 1st of October. So he, was the, so he was the president, which is like governor general here in Canada, you know. So, Pastor Deboe said, 
this man went to visit uh, a particular town in 1963. So the teachers and people there in the town, they had to receive him, so particularly teachers and school students. So the man was in the motorcade. This is Namda Zikwe, 1963. Pastor Deboe happened to be a teacher at that time also, so he was also part of the people that were welcoming him to the town. So, so Pastor Deboe said, he was standing for, sorry, beside an older man who was also a teacher, older man. And this president of Nigeria, Namda Zikwe, was in the motorcade. You know, I was going, you know, as you can picture it, waving to people, you know, greeting the people as the motorcade was moving slowly through the town. All of a sudden, he caught a glimpse of the old man. Then he, he beckoned on him and told them to stop. He stopped and he came down out of the motorcade. Pastor Deboe was sharing this story. Pastor Deboe was standing beside the old man while he was still working as a teacher. Then he said, I came down, the, the president came down and walked towards the old man in the midst of everybody. And in some of the old man, they were saying some things. So Pastor Rebbe said, I didn't hear what they were saying to each other. But then after a while, the president left and went back into his motorcade. He said, later on, Pastor Rebbe said, later on, I got to know. That old man used to be the teacher of Namde Azikwe that was responsible for expelling him out of school. Is now part of the people standing on the roadside waiting for the president to come into town. The stone that the builder has rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our sight. Stand on your feet like a champion. <laughs>